Uh, John chapter 8. Turn with me to John chapter 8, verse 1. Are you excited to be in the house of the Lord? How many of you just need a little bit of that worship time right there? That's awesome. John chapter 8. And uh, I want you to keep your finger there and we'll come back to there. But I want to share my story tonight. I have shared my story so many times, but I realized in this last season that I haven't really gone into the fullness of sharing the details of my story, not because of shame or anything like that, simply because the opportunity hasn't allotted itself. I was um, meeting with uh, uh, someone who had gotten a phone call about me. And usually if people get phone calls about me, it's either a really good thing or a really bad thing. Mostly the latter. <laughs> and so uh, we're sitting down talking, and this is someone I'm accountable to. And he says that a man called me and uh, said to me that uh, they had found a profile or something of you on a website or an app or something like that. Um, and you were uh, soliciting for sexual favors from people of the same gender. Um, so I was sitting there shocked as you are right now um, because I want to have sex, but I don't have sex. Um, because I want to live holy. Um, I know some of you, when you got saved, God took your sex drive, but that didn't work for me. Um, <laughs> if you're uncomfortable with this part, it's going to get worse. So I'm just warning you. You might want to go to the child care room. <laughs> and so I'm sitting there talking to them, and I, and I realized in talking with my pastor that I had never really even shared my whole story with my pastor. And so I wanted to, I was talking to our team. I said, I wanted to get this on, on video recording. And Andrew, you're hooking that up. Um, because I wanted to share with the world um, that you can only understand the fullness of grace when you understand the depravity of sin that grace had to bring you out of. Um, some of us are very ashamed of our stories and we want to keep quiet. But what you're doing is you're not allowing people to see the full picture of grace. Um, I, I, I'll understand grace fully when I know that God didn't just deliver you from speaking in tongues. And when you share your story, you release an opportunity for somebody else to get free from the thing that you were struggling with. And so I know the enemy wants to bring shame yes. to a lot of the stuff that you've gone through, but we're going to break the shame tonight. Yes. We're going to break it. Thank you, two clappers. Awesome. No, it's too late. Keep your claps to yourself. Amen. Uh, and let me preface this also. I, I'm going to share a lot of things tonight. Um, and God has restored a lot of these relationships for me, and he is restoring a lot of these relationships. Um, and so if you hear something, don't wonder who it was or what it was um, and what, what, what's going on there, because I don't know who's going to hear this over online or whatever. Um, God has done a lot of working in my life. Um, let me start by saying I was born into chaos. Um, I was raised in the church uh, since nine months before I was even born. I was in the church. Um, my mother, when I was four years old, died in a freak car accident. She was driving, a, a drunk driver was driving her around on her birthday, and they drove over a cliff, and she died. At the same time, my dad, and I don't fully know the whole story there because our family keeps a lot of things quiet from our past, um, but at that same time, I do know our dad left our family and, and began a new family. Um, me... My younger brother and two older sisters were left to be with my grandmother. Now, my grandmother had now lost her only daughter, my mother, um, and uh, years, uh, not so long after that, had lost her only son, my uncle. Uh, we lived near the hood, um, and so now my grandmother had lost her daughter, who had died of a freak car accident with a drunk driver, um, and, and then uh, she had now lost her um, son, 
because of being oh. an innocent bystander. So my grandmother lost her only daughter to a free car accident, my uncle, her only son, now to being an innocent drive-by standard. So I got to my grandmother's house, and my grandmother had a lot of emotional things that were not taken care of. Uh, she had not only lost her only two kids, but she had lost two husbands, had been widowed twice. And so her whole life was surrounded by death. Um, and, and the thing about undealt with emotions is that hurt people hurt people. Um, and it wasn't until, old, until I got older that I was able to reconcile everything that happened in my childhood and I was able to forgive, even without an apology. Um, because you actually can release forgiveness for someone, even if they don't physically apologize to you. Because really, forgiveness is not for them. It's for you. And the reason why we can't forgive is because we have not allowed God to change our perspective on what happened to us. And so growing up, I grew up in an incredibly emotionally uh, 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 chaotic household. Um, we had good days. We had bad days. We had um, days where uh, my grandmother was incredibly happy, but then moments where that could flip and there would anger just would arise. Um, we were beaten from a young child. Like I believe in, in you know, spanking the kids, but uh, we were abused. We would go to the school with bruises up and down our arms and the teachers, would, uh, people would ask, how do we get the bruises? And it, what I couldn't tell them was that last night we were having dinner and I dropped a spoon on the table, off the table, and my grandmother beat me. Um, it was that kind of household that we grew up in. It was like things were never good enough. Um, I was a pretty smart student, and from middle school, that's as far as I can remember from my grades. Um, I, I remember getting over 3.0 averages, and no matter how high they had gotten, it was still never good enough. Um, and so I grew up in this household where I was striving to become something that I could never attain to be. If that wasn't bad enough, being abused, having my mom uh, die on us, having my dad leave our family, um, at the age of about eight-ish, something around there, uh, a family member uh, would come and uh, 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 fondle me in ways that were inappropriate to fondle a young child. For two years, I was molested. It wasn't until I was about 21 that I, God took me back in my memory and showed me what had even happened to me. Because, for, and those of you who have gone through the same thing and God has healed you, you know what I'm talking about. That sometimes you can block things out of your memory because they're too much for you to deal with. They're too much for you to handle. Um, and so I, I had to go back in my memory and I saw, because I remember at a young age, I thought that this was appropriate. That this is what is supposed to happen because your mind is getting formulated. Your thoughts about life are getting formulated. And so here I am being molested, uh, told to do inappropriate things for, for close to two years. Uh, stealing away into secret places of the house and uh, spending time with this family member doing inappropriate things, full-on sex. And this was before I ever uh, even got to middle school. I was only eight or about nine. And that ha lasted for two years. After... I remember I was a horrible kid in elementary school. Um, I had good grades all the time, but when it came to my, uh, uh, what do you call that, my behavior, those grades were always horrible. Um, now I know you guys in school now, you guys get like triangles and hearts and stuff and you don't know if it's an A or a B because we're protecting everybody's feelings, but <laughs> uh, we had A's and B's back then. Um, and when it came to uh, my behavior, I got F's all across the line. And my teachers couldn't understand it because I was an intelligent kid. I was a smart kid. Um, I actually, in second grade, they, uh, what do you call it, jumped me up to third grade, um, but then held me back from third grade uh, because my behavior wasn't ready. Um, then they jumped me up again in third grade to fourth grade and then held me back and I did fourth grade twice because my behavior wasn't good. Um, I remember as a kindergarten student uh, cursing my teachers out. 
Now, even though we grew up in an incredibly abusive home, we grew up in a, a, a moral home. Some would call it a Christian home, but we went to church. I don't know if you're Christian if you just go to church. I keep going to the gym and nothing's happening, so um, <laughs> don't worry, you'll get that on the way home. Um, but we grew up in an incredibly moral house. We didn't watch inappropriate things. We didn't listen to a lot of rap music. We didn't have a lot. So I don't even know where I learned how to cuss. But how many people know there are demonic influences that are out there that are trying to disciple our children if we don't disciple them? And so there were demonic influences that came in and began to disciple. Just like the spirit of God can go somewhere and hover over a person and do something, demonic influence can do the same thing. Um, and so I, I grew up in this uh, thing where I was... There's such a contrast where on one hand, I'm incredibly intelligent, but on the other hand, I'm so misbehaved. Um, for me, my church was my, my safe zone. Uh, before I loved God, I loved the things about God. I loved his house. I loved his presence. I loved his people mostly. Um, and, um, I, I mean, I loved the things of God. I don't know if I had loved God from a young age, but I loved the things around him. You know what I'm talking about? Um, and, and that's fine. Sometimes God will let you love his hand until you get to his face. It, it'll work like that. And so um, I remember I wanted to be in church all the time. I would show up early on Sunday morning at 7 a.m. to pray with uh, the pastors and all the other stuff. And I was the only young person that was going to intercessory prayer after church was done to pray with these eight uh, old black women and this one Latina fire woman. And here I am, 13 years old, praying with them at a young age while everybody else is goofing off. But it's funny how God will work. He'll direct your path even before you know it. And so God was already doing some stuff. And so on one hand, the enemy's doing some stuff, God's doing some stuff. The enemy's doing some stuff, God's doing some stuff. By the time I graduated elementary, I guess that's what you do that, uh, you graduate. My dad had been in and out of our life. He was what I call a CEO dad, a Christmas Easter only dad. And so he showed up on holidays and he dropped off gifts. And I remember my dad was a bag of disappointment. He was full of disappointment for me. And as a young kid, especially as a young man, you, you long for that man, masculine figure to come and tell you who you are. It's true for ladies as well. You need that man to come and show you who you are. And my dad would set me up for failure all the time. He would say, I'm gonna be here and then not show up. I remember Christmases where we would have a living room because we were uh, foster children. Uh, my grandmother had taken us in and, and we were technically foster children even though we were taken in by my grandmother and she later on adopted us and I'll get to that in just a moment because that was a whole thing that messed me up. Um, but so she signed up for all these uh, grandparents who care kind of programs where they would give her toys and all this stuff to give to us for Christmas. So I can remember uh, Pastor John walking into the living room and our living room was packed from back to front with toys and the best toys and be amazing. And I remember my first question was not when can we open the door my, or open the uh, presents. My first question was, is dad going to come? I remember asking those questions. I remember, I, I didn't cry or show a lot of those emotions, uh, but I remember looking at the toys and my heart sinking in my chest because even though I had all these toys, I didn't have the one thing that I really wanted. I would have taken a stupid Ninja Turtle that was used as long as my dad had showed up and given it to me. Um, and so I was struggling. I was struggling in that area. By the time we got to middle school, about sixth grade, um, my life took what I think, well, it took a turn in the natural, but it was more so in the spirit than anything. When I was in sixth grade, um, my families hated each other. My mother's side and my grandmother's side didn't like each other. And so I would go hang out with my father's mother and they would talk crap about my mother's mother. And I would hang out on my mother's mother's side and they would talk crap about my father's mother's side. And it was just always turmoil. And here I am, and that's why, listen to me parents, Watch what you say in front of your children. Because right. even if they don't understand what you're saying, you're sowing seeds of discord in their heart. 
Maybe their dad didn't treat you well, but don't let them know that. It's real quiet. And so there was so much discord in our family. By the time I was in sixth grade, I remember that my grandmother had begun to have these conversations with us that she had wanted to begin to adopt us. Now that set a whole lot of confusion in my head because why would you have to adopt us? We're already your grandkids. But there were financial things that, there were things that she couldn't do without adopting us. We couldn't travel. At that time, my sister was playing basketball and she was an up and coming star uh, at, in college. And so we were traveling a lot. But in order for us to travel with her, she had to get permission from the government and all this other stuff. So it would make her life easier if she would just adopt us. Then we were her kids and she didn't have to ask anybody permission. Um, so she, we went through this discussion, and you know, if you were raised by a black grandmother, you don't have discussions with your grandmother. She tells you <laughs> what the deal is. And so she told me what the deal is, that I'm going to get adopted, and all this stuff. And this is the conversation I remember. I remember that in order for us to be adopted, my father, who was legally our, our, our parent, had to give up parental rights. He had to sign a legal form that said, I am legally no longer this child's Father, when that was said to me, my heart sank. And I thought for sure that's not going to happen. We're just going to have to work around this whole thing as a foster student and whatnot. But here we are now in court with the judge getting ready to change our last name because my dad has signed a form that said, I'm no longer your dad. I'm no longer your father. That began to set a thing in my emotions where I now began to put bricks into a wall that I would build between my dad and, and myself. And I would build and build and build to this day, 30 years old, my relationship with my father is not fully mended. Um, I sat in the courtroom and not only did my grandmother want to adopt us, my birth last name was not Augusta, my last name was Williams, um, it was my dad's name. My grandmother wanted to change my name, and that's a whole sermon in there. When you get adopted into the family, you gotta get the name of the family, but you know where that goes. Um, and I remember the judge looked at me and he asked uh, me and my younger brother, he said, would you like to change your last name to Augusta? If so, you have to file this form. And I remember in my head thinking, I wanna change my name. I like my last name. Augusta doesn't even go with any of the names that I think are cool. I, I like my last name. And then I looked at my grandmother. <laughs> Let me sign this form. And I remember signing my form, and check this out. This is the part that messed me up. After signing the form, I went straight back to school as if nothing ever happened. Wow. The, the appointment was before 12 noon, and after, 12, uh, after the appointment was done in the courthouse, we went to uh, someplace, I think Noah's Bagel, uh, to get lunch. And then after getting lunch, we went straight back to school, and my life was over. And I'm sitting here in sixth grade wondering, does anybody see the whirlwind that's going on in my life? Wow. And all of a sudden, a struggle began to come up in me with my identity, with do people see me? I mean, people are telling me to do this. People are telling me to do this. But does anybody care what I think? And the struggle began. Well, I told you we were completely out of hand. We were horrible. And my partner in crime, Auntie Evelyn, just wave your hand. Wave your hand. She's over there. Her, her daughter who if she ever gets to over here on a third Saturday, we're gonna have her sing because she's so anointed. But we were terrorists. Before Osama bin Laden was Del Augusta and Danielle Robinson. And we used to get in so much trouble. 
Um, but I remember being in, in sixth grade in middle school, and uh, I, I was a pervert, y'all. Like in fifth grade, even, I don't remember liking the uh, opposite sex until somewhere in middle school. But in elementary school, I got pulled into the office all the time because I would go around pinching girls' butts. And they would say to me, why are you pinching girls' butts? Stop it. And I go, I don't know why I'm pinching girls' butts. I'm just, I'm pinching girls' butts. Why? I don't know. I'm just doing it, right? And, um, and, and I remember, and there was nothing even sexual about it. It was just, I was doing it. And so, but by the time I got into sixth grade, I liked girls' butts. And so I started pinching girls' butts on purpose. <laughs> and I would get called into the office. Now, this is the time uh, before voicemails. We had these things called answering machines. Young people, don't worry, it's not an app. It's a, it's a mechanism that picks up the phone. Um, and my grandmother was one of the first people on our block to get an answering machine. You want to know why she got an answering machine? Because she got sick of answering the phone every day when the school would call and say, you need to come and pick up Dale. Because I didn't do like little stuff. It wasn't that I forgot my homework or I came late. I remember taking lettuce, throwing it on the floor just so that I could watch my teacher slip and fall and she was out in the hospital for a couple days. Like I was, I was nuts. Some of y'all are going to finally get it that God can use anybody. <laughs> Like, and I was doing horrible stuff. I would, I would, I remember one time, I, I never really fought. I was, I wasn't a fighter, I was a lover, but I, I remember, um, <laughs> um, I remember one time, the one time I can remember being, becoming violent was we were in the school and this kid had hit me in the face and I did not like getting hit in my face because my grandmother, one of the things she would do to demoralize me would take her finger and slap me in my nose and make me feel really small. And so, you know, I could take a punch, I wouldn't fight, I could take all this stuff, but if you hit me in my face, it was like, the Hulk came out and this rage came out that I couldn't even control. And I remember he hit me in my face and when he hit me in the face, the next thing I knew was that somebody had been pulling me off because I had taken him to the ground and I was choking him and he was turning blue and I was blacked out. I could have killed him if somebody else wasn't around. Like I was that kind of rage. By the time I got in sixth grade, and this is all in sixth grade, we have, wait till we get to high school, it's gonna get even better. Um, in sixth grade, I remember uh, the teachers were so upset about my, my, my whole thing that they had me go see psychiatrists and therapists and all this kind of stuff. Now, mind you, this whole time, I'm going to church. Spirit-filled, tongue-talking, fire-baptized, Holy Ghost-filled, demon-casting, sickness-casting, church. You know, I'm going to real church, and I'm struggling as a young person. Um, that's why when I go speak at youth groups and stuff, I, I preach real message. I don't have like a youth sermon because young people, especially in this hour, are going through more hell than we ever went through when we were younger. And so here I am going to see therapists and psychiatrists. And I remember, um, and, and here's the dilemma with not being discipled. If we don't start discipling young, we'll set a lot of confusion about faith and Christianity. Because I remember seeing a therapist and psychiatrist, and they were saying, talking to me about my faith, my religion, and all that kind of stuff. And um, they were like, well, does God ever, you know, speak to you about your behavior or anything like this? I said, oh, God speaks to me all the time. And then they asked me a question, well, uh, does God ever speak? Like, what do you mean when he speaks? I was like, he speaks. I don't know. I heard heard adults say that, so I figured that's what Christians say, God speaks. They said, well, did God speak audibly? And I'm trying to stay spiritual, and I didn't know I was painting myself out to be crazy. And I was like, yeah, God speaks audibly all the time. And I remember they had called my pastor and said, well, this guy is hearing God audibly. Does that go with your religion? And my pastor is a more conservative guy, and he was like, I don't know about all that, right? We've got to work that all out later, theologically. But um, 
Here I am seeing psychiatrists and therapists. Now, psychiatrists and therapists wanted to put me on a Ritalin drip. They wanted to hook me up to an IV of something that would calm me down, right? Because I was so outrageous. But my grandmother, she was old school, and those old school folks don't believe in taking too much medicine for the brain and stuff like that. Um, and so I, I didn't take medication, so they tried all these different kind of things. Said so maybe he'll calm down if we send him to school. Before you send him to school, give him uh, oatmeal with no sugar in it um, and give him warm milk and a banana. Now, that didn't calm me down, but it did make me mad. <laughs> you sitting me off with plain oatmeal and warm milk. Oh, hell's about to break loose, right? I got some big people shouting in right there, right? <laughs> and, and, and nothing worked. Um, my grandmother would have my, my pastor pray for me all the time, and that didn't work uh, because some things can't be casted out. Some things got to be counseled out. They've got to be processed out. Some deliverance happens in a moment. I believe it. I've, I've watched this come to collide full of the devil and drunk and God sober him up supernaturally right there. I've seen it happen. But for many of us, it's a process. And because we haven't gone, been willing to go through the process, we've given up before our deliverance could come. And so here I am, a young person, and prayer's not working. The oil's not working. My grandmother, she would literally, she called people from Florida to fly in to lay hands on me. And I remember, me, me and my brother were horrible. This guy, this old reverend, I forget what his name is, he would lay hands on me, and we would literally, like the matrix, go all the way back down, and we'd just be looking at each other like, <laughs> right? We were demonic, right? Nothing, nothing was working. And so the question becomes, what do you do when all this spiritual voodoo stuff that we're so used to doing doesn't work for a kid who's struggling? Now, nobody thought, let's process the fact that his mom died, that his dad left and didn't want him, and that he's getting beat up every day. Um, let's, let's process that. But nobody thought about that. So I get into seventh grade, and you thought my life was bad up to this point. This is where it took a whole nother turn. Um, seventh grade, my grandmother got tired of beating us, and so she started outsourcing her beatings. <laughs> and so we started going to a school called Muhammad University of Islam on 3rd and Revere in San Francisco. Now, the thing about Muhammad, now we weren't trying to change religions or anything. She was just trying to, she was too tired to beat me. By this, I was, what, 6th grade, that's like 11 or 12. 12 years old, I was wearing a size 13 shoe, so I was a big kid and all that kind of stuff. And so we go to this a school, and of course they're teaching their religion. And, and in that year, I even converted to Islam. I was a Muslim. I was going around. I was eating turkey because the pork was the white man's drug. You know, I was, I was, I was like like a Nazi is for white people. I was like that for black people. Like we were just the white man's got to go. White people don't get nervous. I'm free. I'm free. I'm free. Don't. I see, see some white people turning red. Just stick with me. It gets better. Um, <laughs> and. And so here I am going to the school. So now we haven't dealt with all the confusion from my childhood that's gotten up to this point. Here comes a whole religious confusion. Um, and so the thing was, this school academically was not very good. And remember, I told you I was really smart. And this whole time, I'm in school. I'm in church. I'm in the choir, uh, praying every fourth Sunday sometimes. I'm um, um, doing youth group and all this other stuff and going to Nation of Islam school. And um, they put me in classes, some of my classes, history, math, some of the different ones, with high school students. Now, these high school students were your typical uh, jock guys. They, they were counting how many girls they slept with and all of this stuff. Now, mind you, uh, my sexuality has not been awakened yet too much. I, I just started getting attracted to girls, figuring that whole thing out. Um, and we were raised in a somewhat moral home. And so here I am now <clears throat> in seventh grade, 
in a Muslim school, no mom or no dad, beaten by my grandmother, going to church. Can anybody spell confusion? And I remember sitting in a class with uh, some high school students, and they started talking about sexual activity and talking about, yeah, this is how we do it, man, and this is how you slap it down, and this is how you work her, and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, like sometimes you just got to masturbate, and sometimes you just got to it off and, and all that kind of stuff. And they, this is how they talked around me, a little church kid who knew nothing about that stuff. I literally didn't even know what masturbation was. And they were talking about all this stuff. And then they would look at me and go, you know what I'm talking about? I'd be like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? I had no clue what they were talking about. What I didn't know was that the enemy was allowing them to be demonically prophetic, to open up doors in me that were not supposed to be open yet. Listen, young person, the reason why we keep trying to get you out of a relationship is because you're awakening love before it's time. You're not mature enough to handle the substantial weight that comes with love because love is about more than chocolates every two and three weeks. There are some things when you're in love that chocolate can't fix. I thought I'd get some wives to help me out right there. (laughs) And here, all of a sudden, the enemy begins to awaken these things in me that were not supposed to yet be awakened. Long story short, that same year, I'm sitting in my living room or in my dining room. I remember it like it was yesterday because this day would change my life for the worse. It would open up a battle that to this day I still fight every day for. Um, in seventh grade, back then, uh, we had Disney Channel and HBO and all this stuff, and you had to actually pay for it. Um, and before, um, and before that you would have it, they would sometimes give you a week-long trial. Any old people remember this? You get a week-long trial of HBO and Disney and all that kind of stuff. And we were, we were raised po, you know. I tell people we couldn't afford the OR. We were po. Um, and so we never had Disney Channel. So when it came on that week, we were going to watch it until our eyelids couldn't stay open, right? And so I was watching Disney Channel, and I remember a show came on that I didn't like, and it was about 11 o'clock. And any of you adults know that you shouldn't be watching most stuff on TV after nine or ten o'clock especially if you're a kid and so I'm flipping through the channels and all of a sudden uh, it was either HBO or Showtime it comes on and for the first time in my life I see a woman completely naked and all the fellas you know what happened then some things arose in my body in my in my heart uh, and sexual desires began to arise um, I, I told you I warned you I'm gonna be very graphic with you but I'm not being graphic uh, just to be graphic there. I want you to sh- see what where I'm going um, Again because I was not raised around men. I wasn't raised around anybody who was a pervert or anything like that I didn't know what to even do with that. I didn't know how to masturbate I remember one time uh, watching one of the dirty shows and I was closing my legs back and forth uh, One time and then all of a sudden I got happy and something happened um, I'll just keep it there. You use your imagination. I won't go too far into that. I say that because um Now I've experienced something sexual that I didn't even know existed. I remember when I excreted for the first time, I thought the judgment of God was on me. I looked down my pants and I thought, oh my gosh, what's happening? I I just thought judgment, but it felt so good. Judgment felt good. And so I remember for from that time forth, that's when I started working with my own body and figuring out my own body. And I grew an addiction to uh, masturbation and to pornography. I would still, this was back before the internet was huge. This is when we had dial up, <laughs> like, right, for like five minutes. And then you have mail and nothing important, right? Old people, you remember, all the people who are laughing, you're, you're old, just in case you were wondering. And I, I remember um, I, w- I would, this was before pornography. 
was so available and so prevalent. In order to see pornography back then, what I would go and do, if it wasn't on the computer, is I would go to the local bookstore and I would go to their magazine section and I would find a dirty magazine and I would put it inside of a, of, of a good magazine and sit there in stores and watch porn within magazines. That would happen forever. That wasn't enough, because the thing about sin is if you don't kill sin, it'll kill you. And so I, I didn't kill sin, and, no, and, and the, 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 the bigger struggle was, um, like I wish I had had Adele in my life when I was younger. Somebody who just got in my business and didn't ask permission. Um, because when, every time I came to church and I heard people share their testimony, it was always, um, number one, about what God had set them free from, not what God is setting them free from now. And so I thought to be a believer, a mature believer meant you had no more struggles. So for me as a young person, how could I share with older people who don't know what sin is about my struggles because they've had none. And when they would share their testimony, it would be so clouded with Christianese that I couldn't tell that God had set them free. Well, God had just delivered me from a miserable life. What? What was it? And why was it so miserable? Were you doing it wrong? Like, tell me. Oh, come on. Don't look at me like you look at me in that tone of voice. You and I both know that sin was fun. Okay, you don't want to say amen. I know it was fun because you still sin today. Okay, all right. I'll leave that alone. I'll say that for later. And, and so my struggle was going to church every day or, or Sundays um, and wanting to share somebody what I was going through, but I couldn't because who could I be open and honest with? Who, who, who would sit down with me and, and, and process, pray, minister to, to me? Um, my, my addiction grew so bad um, that back then we used these things young people called checkbooks. And so I would steal my grandmother's checkbooks and put the accounting number and the routing number on the internet. And uh, grandmother, if you're watching this, I'll pay you back. <laughs> um, <laughs> I would steal the accounting number and the, the, all the stuff so that I could buy memberships onto websites. Because again, back then we didn't have internet. You couldn't just Google it. Google didn't exist. It was not prevalent. And so um, I, I remember I, I would start doing all this stuff with porn and now going through seventh grade and going through eighth grade, still in church, still speaking in tongues, started preaching in eighth grade and still struggling, going through all this stuff. Um, and nobody knew. People would walk up to me and they would hear me pray at church and they would go, man, you're going to be something great for God. God's going to use you. And I wanted to tell them, I don't think he can because I'm dirty and struggling. Okay. And so here I am in eighth grade now and the addiction is growing so bad. I'm masturbating five times a day. Um, I'm a slave to sin. I can't control my urges. I remember I would masturbate and look at porn and in my head I would think, I don't want to be doing this but I couldn't stop. Yes. I was incredibly, incredibly addicted. We're gonna get dirty tonight, but we're gonna get free. And I remember thinking in my head in eighth grade, God, if you can, and this is when my prayer began to start, because from seventh grade up until the end of my eighth grade year, I actually enjoyed living my double lifestyle. I enjoyed the pleasures of church and the pleasures of world. But the worst place you can be is the place of a backslider. Because you know too much about God to fully enjoy the world. And you're too involved in the world to fully enjoy all of God. And so here I am stuck wanting to lift my hands, but I feel guilty. 
wanting to come down to every altar call. And I remember my, my bishop, my pastor, he was preaching uh, one Sunday, and he did a whole message about living a double lifestyle. And I remember sitting in the pew looking at him, like going, did somebody tell him? Who told him? And isn't it funny that God can speak to everyone but speak to you? Like straight to you. I don't know how he does that. A room full of people, and he's giving you a direct word. And I'm sitting there going, how, who told him? And I remember making the, him making the altar call and me wanting to go up. But I was so bound by shame and guilt that I couldn't be free. Because the first thing God wanted to set me free from before was the addiction, was the guilt and shame of sin. The reason why a lot of us can't get free is because we have too much guilt and shame to be able to expose ourselves. And I understand. I'm with you. The church has set it up where if you're a Christian, you got to be perfect. I, I can't be perfect. It's hard. I know God told me to be perfect, and I, hopefully one day I'll get there. But, but there's a struggle and a process to getting there. And so I remember my pastor preaching that message and me wanting to go down. And, and in my heart, and the reason I share this story is because something changed in me. Because I remember from that day forward, I just said, I'm going to live life like this. I'm going to live life in church, but have my sexual sin in the world. Fast forward to ninth grade, and I'm going to, uh, I'm in high school, and I get into high school, I win this academic scholarship um, to a private school in San Francisco, um, and my world kind of takes a turn. Uh, now, in my family, addictive personalities run in our family. My sisters have been addicted to drugs. My younger brother has been addicted to drugs. It runs in our family. And so for me, I never wanted to touch drugs or alcohol because I had enough problems with my whole sexual sin that I was trying to get free from. And so I started going to school in, in this private school and got around the wrong crowd. And I started struggling and wavering in my faith. And young people, hear me out. For those of you who are in schools, environments where it is so secular, unless your Christian relationships are stronger than your worldly relationships, you won't survive. Unless your Christian relationships, your brothers and sisters in Christ, have a stronger hold on you than your friends in the world do, it was such a tug of war, but the enemy was winning because I refused to become accountable in, 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 over there in the, in the church. And so here I am, ninth grade, got a mustache, a beard, feeling myself, and I started, I was watching porn. Now, mind you, I'm two years into this addiction, massively, grossly addicted, and I'm heterosexual porn, and I remember watching porn, and all of a sudden, my attraction shifted from watching the woman to now wanting to watch the man. And it grew so that for a small period of time, I was attracted to bisexual porn and I had bisexual uh, tendency, but then it totally went to the point where all I wanted to see was men because now I was attracted to men and I didn't know if I had an attraction to girls in ninth grade. I don't know if I mentioned this part, but I was going to church. I was in the choir. I was praying every fourth Sunday, showing up to early Sunday morning prayer. God won't fix what you won't let him. And I remember in my ninth grade year, my, the, the bondage had become so strong. And I hadn't had sex until this point, except for the point where I was molested. Hadn't had any sexual activity. It was just masturbation and, and self-pleasing. But at this point, I needed something more. And I'm fully uh, living a secret, homosexual, uh, perverted lifestyle in secret. Nobody knows. <laughs> we need prophets in the church again. Yes. <laughs> the grace of God will expose you. Yes. Mm. 
And I remember we, my friends were talking about, and these were like rich kids, and so they started, we were going to private school, and so they started talking uh, about um, getting fake IDs so that they can get into clubs and get into bars and all that stuff. And I wanted to get fake IDs so that I could get into strip clubs. And so there were male strip clubs and sex clubs in San Francisco. I was born and raised in the city. And I remember getting fake ID and walking into a, a gay strip club, and they didn't even ask me for my ID because I looked old. And so I remember going in there and for the first time having physical contact with another man sexually. And so uh, that grew to by the time I got even into 10th grade, um, it grew from just the strippers to where I started going to sex clubs. Um, and so here I am going to gay sex clubs in San Francisco and having full on sex uh, with people. I remember uh, the first time that I had sex uh, with, a, with a man, uh, I went to his house um, and I didn't even know what I was doing, and he was teaching me how to have sex with another man. Um, and I remember uh, spending the night, that Saturday night, waking up, and the fear of God had hit me. And I remember thinking, what am I doing here? I remember um, thinking, I have gone so far into sin. God, is there even hope for me? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and I'm in ninth grade. Well... If that wasn't enough, I needed to have more and more sex. So I started going to sex clubs, strip clubs, and having sex with men. My whole life, I have only had sex with men. I've never had sex with women ever. I've only had sexual contact with men. And I'm struggling having sex all the time, having sex. And the addiction grew so bad where now I wanted sex all the time, and so I was willing to pay for it. So I had a little job in, in 10th grade, and I would get some money, and then I would go try to find a prostitute. And this was back when Craigslist, you could find prostitutes on Craigslist. And um, I would pay people in the sex club to uh, have sex with me because I was so grossly addicted. Um, the addiction grew so bad that... Um, I'm good. <laughs> I, I'm just thinking, I wouldn't have picked me. Wow. <laughs> I wouldn't have picked me because I was a bad investment. I wouldn't have picked me. I would have picked the good kid. I would have picked the kid who had it all together. But Jesus picked me. Sorry, I just had a moment. I'm back. I just had a moment. I'm good. <laughs> and I remember, I remember um, the addiction grew so bad. It was so heavy that now I begin to sell my body. And the way that came to be is because we were in this, this thing, it was like a strip club slash sex club. And I remember this guy came to me and he wanted to have sex with me, but he was so gross and looking and whatnot. And he said to me, he said, I'll pay you money to have sex with me. And I remember thinking, you'll pay me money? And most people would think, feel disgusted or demoralized. But in my head, what happened was, if I get his money, I can hire more prostitutes and have sex with them. And so um, I agreed and we had sex and he gave me $25. Huh. And so for me, this thing started where I started putting posts on Craigslist and different websites. And um, I, I was sitting with my pastor the other day. I was, I was lightly kind of sharing some of my story. We didn't have enough time. Um, but I, I said to him, I said, there are some things in my past um, I'm not necessarily ashamed of. I can share it. I'm free from it. But there's some things I regret. There's, there's pictures of me still on websites in different places. Um, I, I can remember waking up 
next to people and I didn't know who they were. And I remember going home and taking showers because I was trying to wash their smell off of me. I remember getting out of the shower and still feeling dirty and going back to take a shower because I couldn't get their smell off of me. And I remember being so jacked up, but I couldn't stop. I was so addicted. I was having sex with hundreds of people. I don't know if I mentioned this, still going to church, still speaking in tongues, still laying hands on people, preaching at 13 years old, but secretly bound. My life was church, home, school, sex. And the most important thing in that was sex. And the thing about it was that I had to keep sleeping with men because I was looking for my dad. And maybe if I get the intimate touch of a man that I don't know, maybe the one who I do know will actually touch me the way I'm supposed to be touched. So 10th grade, sex, unprotected, all this other stuff. I'm going to fast forward real quick and then jump back here. Uh, Years later, after I had been free and God had started beginning a deliverance process, I'm going to go back to that. Um, I went to the doctor because I was having some problems. I speak a lot, so I had tonsillitis from time to time that flares up. Um, And I went to the doctor and the guy said, we're going to run some blood tests and see what's going on. And he came back to me, long story short, and he said, you're positive for HIV. And I remember my world sinking down, sinking, because there was no coming back from that. And um, he said, well, are you going to come back? I said, can you take another test? He said, we are taking two or three. It's confirmed. You have HIV. And I didn't tell anybody. And I went back home, and I started, I was angry. To this day, if you go downstairs in my grandmother's house, there's a hole uh, in one of the walls, because I had gone to the house, and I was so angry at God at life, at my family, that I had punched a hole in the wall. Came back about a week or two later, the the doctor walks in and he says to me, I don't know what happened. Um, We took about two or three tests. Um, We've taken some more on you today, but your test results came back today and you don't have HIV in your system. sat in the doctor's room, and for the first time in my life, I prayed the longest prayer I ever prayed, and it was one word, help, help, God, I need your help, I can't do it by myself, I need your help, God, if you're real, you know I serve you now. I'm trying to do right now, but if you're really real, will you set me free? Well, here's the funny thing about God. (laughs) He won't ask your permission as to how to set you free. He's incredibly rude that way. (laughs) Because, I mean, come on, let's be honest. If we ask for freedom, it's in the back room, nobody else in the room, no cameras, no Instagram, just keep my business between me, the intercessor who's kind of crazy with red hair, and the Lord. 
and let's let it be just that's it right there. But some of you are so afraid of getting exposed. Let me think, tell you, the best thing that could ever happen to you is that you say, God set me free and God expose you. That is the best thing that could ever happen to you. You say, well, that sounds so cold. It is the grace of God because God knows you're too weak for private deliverance. He knows that he got to put you and he wants to put you in public, not to shame you, but to display you. I said to the Lord, I said, God, any way you help, just help. God, help. No, no, Father God, no, in the name of Jesus. No, no, no. It's just help. Yes. Well, that same year, and I don't get mixed up in the same t- the t- timeline. I'm jumping back uh, a little bit. Um, I'm going to school, having sex, prostituting, renting, hiring prostitutes, living this secret lifestyle, this double lifestyle. There was a time, Jabbar, I don't know if you remember this, but there was a time uh, we went to winter camp as young people, and uh, it was a guy, the black guy with the dreads. What was his name? Jeff, yeah, whatever his name, Reverend Jeff. And he came, and uh, we were all at the altar. Now, this guy could preach. He was annoying, but he was incredibly prophetic, too. And I remember he called a bunch of young people down to the altar, and he had said at the altar, um, he said, somebody is uh, struggling with homosexuality. And I remember, ding, 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 ding. Uh, (laughs) But that was in my heart. And and check this out. I remember thinking, I, I literally, and I wasn't the only one, I looked down the aisle, and I was thinking, if somebody else goes, I'll go. If somebody else steps out, I'll step out. Oh, heck no, I'm not stepping out. And nobody stepped out. And, um, and I, rem- I remember walking away, and we had, had started having fellowship, and the guys had started talking about that whole incident, and one of the guys had spoken up and said, remember when Reverend Jeff said somebody's struggling with homosexuality and, and come out and all that kind of stuff? He, he said... Um, he said, yeah, I was looking to see who was going to come out because we was going to make fun of him tonight. Wow. And I, I remember wow. thinking, thank God I didn't come out. Thank God I didn't expose myself. And can I tell you something? And God had it all set up. You know, for some of us, our deliverance, we're going to go through a lot of hurt, a lot of pain. But in all of it, God wants to keep us safe. Yeah. He, want, he wants you to walk away honored. If, let me, oh, I'm going to get in trouble here. Um, but if you're in a church and all they do is want to uh, expose sin, but never honor you and restore you, find a different church. Yes. Charles, get a close up right here. Right, I want you to hear my face. For every pastor who's out there who is exposing people because you want to say, I got you, instead of saying, I restore you, you need to repent today. For every pastor who has someone in their office who's stuck in sin, and you shame them because you do not understand their sin. For every person out there who's struggling with pedophilia and homosexuality, who's transgender, who's struggling with things that they, no one gets to pick their sin. And for every person, I want to speak hope to you. It is not the heart of God to shame you. It is not the heart of God for you to feel dishonored. God wants to honor you and set you free. And for every pastor, you hear me closely. You better learn how to honor those who are in bondage. Okay, you can close out now. I'm good. I had to get that off my chest. Because I am sick of people coming to me because their pastor refuses to listen. Sometimes pastors, sometimes all people need to be set free is not put the anointing oil in your desk and bring out your ear. And here I am and I'm going through all this struggle. Oh, I forgot to mention, I got to rewind. 
I'm in seventh grade, and I'm so depressed, manically depressed, I would have nights in seventh grade where I couldn't sleep. All night long, I would stay awake, couldn't sleep. Falling asleep in class, tired all the time, insomniac, um, and I became incredibly suicidal. One time I went to go get a bottle of Tylenol pills, a, full, a completely full bottle, and I downed every single pill in that bottle. Um, woke up with foam around my mouth hours later. Didn't even know how long I was out. But the grace of God kept me from killing myself. Tina, I ought to be dead. You know, some people get up here and they say, well, you ought to be dead. No, I really tried to kill myself because for me, there was no hope. And God wouldn't let me kill me. <laughs> so rude. <laughs> oh, Jesus. I haven't been this messed up in a bit. <sighs> Tried to kill myself and God. So here I am, suicidal. You look in my clinical records from my history, you'll see I was clinically insane. Literally clinically insane. Before I ever got to even high school, molested for two years. No mom, no dad, abusive grandmother. I would walk around the house and sing, and my grandmother would tell me to shut up because nobody wanted to hear me sing. No support. <laughs> and now people are singing songs that I wrote all around the world. It's funny how God will restore. <laughs> and so, let me hurry up because it's getting close to 10. I, I get to, um, thank you, Jesus. I get to 10th grade and um, prayed prayers, Lord, help deliver me, set me free, because I finally wanted to get free. And in 10th grade, a woman, some of you guys know her, my, my mama, her, Aida, we were in a prayer meeting with her. And I'll never forget, we had done all night prayer. And um, now, mind you, I was incredibly effeminate as a, as a young guy, like, because uh, I was raised by women. So what did you expect? Uh, I remember actually Evelyn, Auntie Evelyn, she would, uh, I remember one time I picked up the phone. Do you remember this? I tell this story all the time. I don't know if you remember it. But I picked, we were walking up the stairs from our church, and I picked up the phone, and I said, hello, <laughs> just like a woman. And this woman of God takes her fist as hard as she can and punches me in my chest. And she looks at me and says, you better put some man in that voice. <laughs> <laughs> Can I tell you something, leaders? Young people are not afraid of tough love. They just want to be loved. Just make sure you love, <laughs> right? We, we're going to need some. Come on, we're going to need some, especially in the hour that we live in where homosexuality is increasing. We're going to have to have some men and some women of God teach these young guys how to be men, that you can't switch like your mama switches. Okay, okay. You can't, you, I, I went to a service the other day. Shalene, help me, Jesus. I went to service the other day, and I'm going to get in trouble. I know. Shalene's telling me not to say it, but I went to the service the other day. Now, I grew up in the church where we used to have to tell women about their midriffs. <laughs> We're having to rebuke men now for their midriffs. <laughs> like, but we need some men to show, but there's no men in the church. How am I supposed to know how to be a man if there's no man around? Hello, I need all the men just to shout amen right there. Amen. Deeper voice, amen. amen. Men, we need you. We need you. Stick around. Stick around. If all you do is take a young person out to lunch and hold them around your arm and say, whatever you need, I'm there. You don't have to have all the answers. So I was in a prayer meeting, and I'm going to wrap it up. I was in a prayer meeting, and in this prayer meeting, um, the thing about prophetic people, my, my mom was one of those people that we didn't look in the eye when we were younger. She's like, how you doing, Sister Aida? Praise the Lord. 
Because <laughs> we just knew God spoke to her, right? <laughs> and so uh, we're sitting in a prayer meeting and been praying all night long. And we're sitting there and I'm crying, weeping, asking for the fire of God, yelling in tongues, power of God, touch me. And my mom comes over to me and whispers in my ear so that no one could hear me or could hear her. Everybody else is praying. She whispers in my ear. She said, this doesn't make sense to me. She said, but the Lord just showed me that you're in gross perversion and he wants to completely set you free. I had never told one person. Wow. Never told one person. Wow. And she came and she laid hands on me and I did the Pentecostal shuffle and I rolled on the floor. I cried. I weeped snot. Thank God there was no Instagram. That would have been hashtag ugly, right? <laughs> and I'm, come on, you've had those moments too. Come on, I'm not the only one, right? The ushers don't know what to do with you. This <laughs> is all over the place, you're a mess. And I got back up, and for a couple weeks, I didn't masturbate, didn't uh, look at porn, but fell right back into the same cycle. Um, And I want to put this out there. Freedom is not the length between cycles of your sin addiction. I'm going to say this one more time, because this is important for you to know. Freedom Freedom does not mean that you had a longer length of time between your sin cycles. God wants to set you completely free. When I was... Along, in, that, in that summer after 10th grade, we were in a revival meeting. Now, by this time in the revival meeting, I have had sex with over 200 people. I'm masturbating five times a day. I am grossly addicted to homosexual pornography. Um, I have been suicidal. I have all, all while, in case you didn't hear the first time, going to church, in choir, praying on fourth Sundays, uh, trying to be a leader for the gospel. Um, and in the summer of 10th grade, 10th grade, after 10th grade, we're sitting, and our church would have revival meetings uh, back in the day. Um, and we had a revival meeting with a man of God named Tim Bagwell. Tim Bagwell, to this day, is one of my favorite preachers. And Tim Bagwell was one of those guys who could tell you your name, uh, could tell you where you were in pain, that God was going to heal you and save you. He was a real prophet of God. Has a big church over there in Denver. Uh, if you don't know who he is, you ought to check him out. He's awesome. Um, and I had never received a public prophetic word ever. Um, and I used to get mad at God because everybody else got a public prophetic word. Be like, and Jabari's one of them. Jabari would get one every week. He was a prophecy magnet. I used to be like, God, he don't even love you like I love you, Lord. And he said, <laughs> everybody give, and, and Danielle too. And Danielle, to this day, Auntie Evelyn's daughter, to this day, I mean, get a prophecy. And she, and Danielle was a mess because she would write them down in her Bible and show you too. Look, I got a prophecy. Look at, look what the Lord said he's going to do in my life. Look what he said he's going to do. Uh-huh, uh-huh, and just show it off. And I remember being, and I'd smile on that. I was like, praise the Lord. <laughs> I'm going to die, right? Like, God, where's my prophecy? How come, come on, I want to go to the nation. And I remember um, I'm sitting in the seat, second row, and I got a pinstripe suit on, and I'm looking good. Um, <laughs> Now, that was disrespectful. All right. Um, and I'm sitting on the second row, and I've got my pinstripe suit on, and um, he's prophesying. And I have no expectation that God's going to speak to me. Nothing's going to happen because it never happens for me. So I, I've gotten comfortable, and, and this is a word from somebody. I have put my hope and faith away because I'm tired of using it and being disappointed. <laughs> Every life was a bucket of disappointment. So let me stop trying to put my hope in this, right? And so I'm sitting on the second row, and um, he's prophesied over a few people. And then all of a sudden, I hear, hear him say, and he's got that deep kind of old school revival voice. And he said, young man, come down. The Lord has a word for you. And I was like, Lord, bless that young man. Bless that young man. Lord, touch him, Lord. Touch him, Lord. Young man, come down to the... Lord, touch that young man. Don't, don't let him be afraid, Lord. Don't. 
And then somebody taps me and goes, idiot, he's talking about you, right? And so I go down, and the power of God was so strong that before I even got to the altar, um, I'm weeping and I'm trembling. Um, I had to go back later to hear the video so that I could actually catch everything that he said because the Lord was just doing a work on me. Now, if that's all that he had done, that right there, I would have been good. You know why I would have been good? Because even while I got to the altar, for the first time in my life, I go, wait, God knows me. One of the reasons I ask God for the prophetic anointing, and we move a lot in the prophetic, and some of you roll your eyes and get tired and whatever. Um, and one of the reasons I love the prophetic anointing, because it exposes the fact that God knows you. That he re- I mean, we know he's real, but that word comes in and confirms it, right? And so he comes and he starts giving me the good prophecies. Back in the day, the big prophecy was everybody was going to the nations, right? Nobody had a passport, but we were all going to the nations, right? <laughs> It's a man of God. God's going to send you to the nations. He's going to send you to China. You're going to have an anointing for Asia. God's going to, and you're going to sound like a trumpet. I know that's where all the Asians came from. That's where you guys all came from. It was from the prophecy in 10th grade. And God's, God's going to send you to Asia. He, he said, and I'll never forget. He said, God's going to, you're going to sound like a trumpet and you're going to hit like a hammer. You're going to sound like a trumpet and you're going to hit like a hammer. And I'm just on cloud nine, anointed man of God, man, God's man of power for God's hour. I'm about to wait till I show Danielle this prophecy. I'm going to be like, I'm going, you're not going to the nations. I'm going to the nation. Right. Right. And I'm just thinking you're going to the nations, man of God. And then this one word messes up the whole prophecy. He says, but. Now, I was an AP English student, and I understand that in the English context, the word but means that everything that I just said is no longer relevant because the sentence shifts right here. <laughs> this is not going to be good. And he says to me, but, he said, you're like Esau. Wow. That Esau came and was so hungry that he was, people say Jacob stole the blessing. He didn't steal it. You're going to owe Jacob an apology, you preachers. Jacob didn't steal it. Esau gave it away. Esau, he says, you're like Esau. Esau came and he was so hungry that when Jacob asked for his inheritance, he gave it all up so that he could have a bowl of lentils. And he said, young man, you have given up your inheritance for immediate gratification. Laid hands on me. I flew out and I was out, out. Like, it wasn't one of the falls that you guys do where you're like, somebody catch me. Okay, good. No, no, no. Like, I was out, out. If nobody had caught me, I was gone. I can't tell you what he preached that night. I can't even tell you who led worship or what songs they sang. I can't tell you what day of the week it was. But I can tell you that when I got up from that altar, it was as if Jesus had come inside my heart and taken my black and dark soul and dipped it in red blood and caused me to come out white as snow. And for, listen, Listen, for the first time in my life, I felt guilt and shame free. It was so bad that people would come up to me and say, hey, they call me Del Shea in my home church. It's my birth name. You don't call me that. They call me that. (laughs) You call me Del. I'm the Del Shea. Okay. And they say, Del Shea, how you doing? I said, man, I'm good. You know, I was having sex with over 200 people. I was masturbating every day, watching pornography. But, you know, Pastor Bagwell came the other day and laid hands on me, and I was out, and I got up, and I I think I'm free. 
I'm going to go to the coffee hour. <laughs> God bless you. After that, I literally had deacons and leaders come up to me. My stories begin to circulate some throughout the church. And leaders and deacons would come up to me and say, um, I don't want you to play with my kids. Yes. Wow. Um, people would look at me and say, no, 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 don't, don't hold that kid. And the enemy tried to put shame on me, but God has set me so free. Now, now they'll tell you, they'll tell you, I was a little rebellious. <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> oh, but it got so bad, I really didn't care. Like, if I didn't care what I thought about you before, I really didn't care now. Like, I, God had done something. It was big. It was too big. I got my call of ministry in seven, at 17 years old, and I was in a, a school, and the Lord told me to drop out and, and go into full-time ministry, and I said, okay, Lord, you're going to have to put me in witness protection program, because the way my house is set up, because <laughs> I have a checking in the savings, <laughs> I'm just kidding, I'm, I, this grandmother will kill me, and I heard the Lord speak as clear as day, he said, I will kill you and raise another one just like you. I said, okay, I'll drop out, Lord. Um, <laughs> And I went into full-time ministry with this prophetic word that I was going to change the nations, preach the gospel. And I remember I, it's now called City Impact. And it was, it, back then it was called San Francisco Rescue Mission down in the Tenderloin of San Francisco. And I, I sat with my intern, Pastor Chris, there. And I said to him, um, I said, man, God's given me this call. I got this call. It's big, man. God, this, God's done some crazy stuff in my life. God's going to do some crazier stuff. This was in January of 2004. And I'll never forget, he passed a, a preaching towel to me. And I thought, man, you believe in my call. Thank you for believing in my destiny. Because in black culture, when you become a pastor, you get a, a, a towel and a preaching rack. And that's so that you can wipe the sweat. But I don't sweat. I'm a gentleman. I glisten. So I don't really need it. Um, and, I, and I remember saying, Pastor Chris, thank you so much for the preaching towel. He said, that's not a preaching towel. Go clean the bathrooms downstairs. <laughs> Perdoname? <laughs> You obviously didn't hear what I said. I said, I got a call to the nations, preach the gospel. I need you to train me how to preach and how to do ministry. He said, until you can prepare a bathroom better than you can prepare a sermon, I will never trust you with my people. Some of you are too anointed to pick up tissue. <laughs> Some of you are too, you, you don't got a title. You've become too anointed to, you don't, you don't usher. That's not, you can't do PowerPoint. You can't do children's ministry. You're anointed. <laughs> How's that working out for you? <laughs> and I digress. Um, I went through two years from 17 to 19 uh, going through hell. Um, my relationship with God plummeted. Um, I was a Martha and not a Mary. Um, I became all about works for me. Um, I struggled. Uh, on one hand, I'm going to Guatemala doing ministry and, um, with thousands of people. And then on the other hand, I'm coming back and I don't even have a prayer life. Um, I start dipping and dabbling back into some of the stuff that God had delivered me from as far as perversion. And here's the thing. I could still say I was free. You say, well, how can you say you were free? And you used to have this thing. See, before God set me free, here's the deal. I had no choice in the matter. I had to do whatever sin wanted me to do. Sin said masturbate, I masturbate. Sin said have sex, I had sex. But now I still have the same opportunities, but I have a choice. Yeah. Oh, you didn't catch that. You didn't catch that. Because some of you still think you're bound. No, the key is right in your hand. All you, you don't even need to use it. The door's already been unlocked. Just push it open. Yes. Get the computer out of your room at 2 in the morning. Yeah. Can you just look at your neighbor and say, he's talking to you. He ain't talking to me. He's talking. <laughs> I went through hell for those two years in ministry, Lord producing my character. And can I admit something to you? I failed. I failed the character test. Um, 
I went to take on a, a role within a church in San Francisco, and a lot of my past became, came back up. Because you know what I had never dealt with? My childhood. I'm going to backtrack just a little bit, and then fast forward, and we're going to get out of here after we cry a little bit. Um, I had never dealt with, literally, I was, here I was, 20, 21 years old, and it had never hit my brain, like literally, I had never had one thought that my mom had died. That had never processed at all, even the thought. It had never hit my brain that in sixth or seventh, seventh grade, I literally told my dad I no longer want a relationship with him and cut him off. It, no, it had never hit my brain that the way I was raised was wrong. So I went and I began to see Christian therapists and processing some stuff. And let me encourage some of you real spiritual people who, who don't think you should see a therapist. You need it the most. No, I'm going to just believe God. No, you're not. You're going to get a therapist and fix your marriage, fix your brain, fix your kids, your relationship with your son. Go get counseling. Can somebody say amen so I don't feel? Um, and so um, I began to see the Christian therapist, and we process all this stuff. And um, I, I didn't even realize a lot of my, my weight issues and all that kind of stuff was, struck, was intermingled with a lot of my emotional instability. That when I was a kid, they would ask me, I'm really funny now, but the way that was built up was because of a defense mechanism. And so people would ask me how I was doing, and I would make a joke. For, I remember one time I made a joke with a counselor. He said, how are you doing? I, I made a joke. He said, no, no, Dale, you're not leaving here until you tell me how you're doing. And I remember weeping. And I didn't even know why I was weeping because I was so emotionally confused. Well, I walked with my Christian therapist through this process of entangling things and all this kind of stuff because people were trying to help me in my struggle and I refused to get help. I, I refused because I, I was just, I was so bound with all. Now God had taken the sexual thing. Let's get to the root. Somebody came to me one time and said, Pastor Dell, I've got an alcohol problem. I said, no, no, no. You've got a problem. Alcohol is your attempt at the solution to the problem. Did you hear me? The, the real problem, we've got to get to the root of it. I mean, you're overeating, but going on a diet won't fix the root of the issue. You're, you're struggling with sexual sin or some kind of immorality. You've got to get to the root. So I started digging at the root, and I mean, tear. I would, I would be in Safeway getting ice cream of vanilla. Vanilla. <laughs> and just start, I was a mess everywhere I went. I would, I would be in a church, and all of a sudden, I just start crying during offering. And people are like, that brother really likes to give. Praise the Lord. <laughs> like, I was, I was a mess. And here's the thing. I preach a sermon about Lazarus, and when Lazarus comes out of the grave, they roll away the tombstone, and the Bible says he stinketh in the King James. The thing about deliverance is it doesn't always smell good. Yes. You won't, look at me, look at me in my good eye. You won't always come out looking good. You, I've, I've had people to this day, to this day, people still accuse me of being uh, walking in homosexuality and doing all this other stuff people, because the church can't handle real. And, and listen, listen, let's not beat up the church. It's okay. We, we used to be there. God will get them to. Don't worry. God will get them to. We're not better than them. But I'm saying for those of us who know what freedom looks like, what it is, why don't we start walking in it? And so not only is God delivering me from the sexual stuff, now at 20 years old, God's delivering me from all the emotional pain, all the hurt, all the wounds. Couldn't have, I did not, I did not have a non-funny conversation until I was about 22 years old. I did not have a serious conversation until I was 22 years old. 
God started delivering me, processing, going through some stuff, healing some areas. God sent people into my life to help heal some areas. Because sometimes God wraps himself in, his fle- in the flesh and calls you know, him the pastor. <laughs> sometimes your pastor is called to help heal you. Your brother, your whatever, all that stuff. Is, and I started processing all this stuff. Long story short, now that you know all my business. <laughs> um, I remember I was getting ready to go to Singapore and the Lord had spoke to me. I had never shared my full testimony. And the Lord said, Dell, it's time. Wow. I said, what time? <laughs> it's time to let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Yeah. I said, oh, oh, oh come here, God. <laughs> Let's talk, because you don't have the same testimony I got. <laughs> so the way my testimony is set up is uh, because, like, if you're, if you're drunk or drunkard or a drug addict, we like those testimonies, Lord. That we like the guy with tattoos all over and who got, went to jail. I've never heard a testimony about homosexuality in my whole life. And I've been alive for 22 years. Um, and the Lord began to speak to me. He said, Dell, you know how you keep falling back into some of those same old tracks of sin? I said, yeah, Lord, but you forgave me. He said, yeah, yeah, I forgave you. But it's not a forgiveness issue. It's a healing issue. You have open wounds. I said, well, God, come and heal them. He says, I can't. I said, what do you mean? You're God. You can do all things. He said, the way I've set it up, this is what Brother James said to us in his his part of the Bible. He said, "Um, confess your sins one to another that you may be healed. If I confess my sins to the Lord, he is just and faithful to forgive me of all of my sins. But if I confess my sin to my brother, God is faithful to expose it, reveal it, and heal it. He cannot heal it until he reveals it. That's has Twitter that or something. He, when he reveals it, he heals it. Can I tell you why? Because whatever you keep in darkness, the enemy is the ruler over darkness. He has the right to rule over. He has the right. Some people say this. Some people say this. Well, I, don't condemn me. I, there's no condemnation. All, those, all that stuff. But that doesn't belong to those who are not in Jesus. That scripture is not for you if you're not in the light. There's no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. So once you expose your sin, because some of you have secret stuff that you've never shared with anybody that you're going to share with a prayer warrior tonight, and and God's going to set you free because you exposed it and you told the enemy he no longer has power over you because it's no longer in the darkness. I began to expose it. God heal it. Long story short, God set me free. I get to Singapore, and I share my story, Mishi, and it's about a 1,000 kids in this church in, in Singapore, and I'm sharing my story, and I share, just like I'm sharing with you guys all now, I share the details, the nitty-gritty. I think I shared even more with you guys. I share the whole story, and I'm just thinking, and the altars are packed. Kids are getting set free, but I'm not feeling anything. Like, I'm just praying by faith, believing God. Amen. Praise God. I preach a good message. Amen. And all of a sudden, a young kid pulls me to the side and starts whispering to me. And usually when a young man whispers to me, he wants to tell me about his sexual perversion as if no one has ever struggled with it before. And he says to me, he says, Pastor Dell, um, nobody, um, I've never really told anybody this, you know, but my mom uh, is a single mom. My dad, he died. I never had a father, but um, I've been struggling with homosexuality and masturbation and all this other stuff. And I've been struggling so long that I thought maybe I can't be free until I heard your story. And when I heard your story, I thought I need to have him pray for me because maybe I can be free too. 
The reason I want everybody to know my business around the world is because I want it to be said from the rooftop that God is able to deliver the most depraved, that he's able to set free those of us who have walked in darkness no matter what it is. He's able to take what the enemy meant for bad and turn it for my good. I refuse to let the devil have glory in my situation. I refuse to let the enemy have glory in what I went through because of everything I went through. I've got to tell people because I've got to let people know that God in 2006 he still sets free he still delivers he still heals he still brings life worship team help me I refuse to live the way that I live for the enemy and sit in a pew my whole life and be quiet about what God did for me. Listen, if I buy you a $1,000 jacket, you better tell everybody that I bought you the $1,000 jacket. That $1,000 jacket cost me something. And how dare you sit back and say, oh, this is nothing. How would you feel giving your friend a $1,000 jacket and they walked around telling everybody, oh, this is nothing. And that's what we do. God sets us free. Oh, no, because we have this false humility complex. It's not false humility. It's pride disguised. Because you're afraid of what people might think of you. And people, this is the part I didn't want to tell you, but I got to tell you. If you expose yourself, if you tell everybody about what you're struggling with now and what you've gone through, they will talk about you. I know you want me to tell you they won't talk about you. But I've walked into rooms and watched people stop whispering. I've had pastors uninvite me when they heard something on YouTube. That was my story. I've had leaders come up and question. Because I remember I was preaching to Collide one time in Sacramento. And I, and I was preaching. I was telling people, God set me free from some stuff. But if I'm honest, I'm still struggling every day sexually. I still got to make a, do what Job said. He said, I made a covenant with my eyes. I still got to make a covenant with my eyes. And this is the part that makes people really uncomfortable. Pastor Dell, do you still struggle? I wish my sinful desires would go. I really do. But I told him, for him I'll live. And for him I'll die. If I've got to go to the grave with a struggle, I'm going. But I got to make it to heaven. Because I'm not going to live in hell and then die and go to hell. I've, I've, got, I've, got to, I've got to keep pressing. I cannot find one person from this Bible who ever made it perfect. David was a whoremonger and a bad dad. Mary was too young. Martha didn't have any faith. Noah was a drunk. Gideon was afraid. Joshua and Caleb were too old. Moses was too angry. David was a murderer. We got all these people messed up in the Bible. And we're saying, well, God can never use that person. Because they were a crackhead. And their kids are still on crack and they still got some struggles can I tell you something if that was the theology God wanted us to base it around we'd have to get rid of all the Psalms help me Jesus David was a pervert his whole life I know he was a pervert because in order to check if he was dead he's laying in his bed and they sent in a beautiful naked virgin and when he didn't touch her, they said surely the king is dead that wasn't enough. He was a horrible dad. One of his kids is trying to rape the other kids. The other kid's trying to take over his kingdom and kill him. So if you're a bad dad in here, there's hope for you. Let me read this and then we're going to get delivered. 
I love the fact that I can end whenever I want. I'm just because I'm, I'm, I'm sick of you getting up for 30 minutes and preaching a message that didn't shift anything in me. So let me read a scripture so this will become an official sermon. I know there's some Baptists who snuck in here. My brother didn't read I got you. John chapter 8, Jesus went unto the Mount of Olives, and early in the morning he came again into the temple, and all the people came unto him, and he sat down and taught them. Verse 3, and the scribes and Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery, and when they had set her in the midst of them, they said unto Jesus, Master, this woman has taken in adultery, was taken in adultery in the very act. She was, we caught her. Now, my theology says it was a setup. I was raised in the hood, and this looks like a setup. Because how do you catch somebody in the act unless you knew it was going to happen? That's a whole other story. Verse 5. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned, but what sayest thou? Verse 6. This they said, tempting him, that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down, and I'm going to just say it in the NIV version, uh, minded his own business can I tell you something because I got to read that again so you hear that verse 6 this they said tempting Jesus that they might have to accuse him the reason the enemy wants to accuse you and all that you're going through is really he's trying to make a shame of Jesus and when you come out and remove the accusation you bring glory to Jesus verse 7 after Jesus starts, and he starts writing something on the ground, verse 7 says, So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him cast a first stone at her. Verse 8, and again he stooped back down like a boss and dropped the mic. Verse 9, and they which, it's the NIV version. And they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last, and Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. And here's where Jesus brings honor. Verse 10, when Jesus had lifted himself and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, woman, where are those that accuse you? Hath no man condemned thee? Verse 11, our final verse, she said, no man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, neither do I condemn you and sin no more. Jesus looks at the Pharisees and says to the Pharisees, you without sin, cast the first stone. The problem I have here is Jesus is the only one without sin and he never cast a stone. He could have, but he didn't because his goal was not to hurt her, but to heal her. The other problem I have, I've heard preachers preach this, and I probably have done this in the past, but they spend so much time talking about what Jesus wrote on the ground, and I've heard preachers say they were, Jesus was writing down the sins of all the Pharisees. I don't personally believe that, because I don't believe, I believe God loves the Pharisee too. Oh, y'all missed that one. He likes that little religious demon in your church too. He wants to get them free. I think we don't know what Jesus wrote down because it's absolutely irrelevant. Because the point is not... The point is not that he wrote something on the ground. It's that he got down there with her. Because he said to him, just in case you get real religious and think about hitting her, 
I'm going to get hit with her. Because Jesus is after you. That's why he won't let you die. You keep cutting yourself and you want to die. But he's not going to let you because he wants you. You didn't want to come tonight, but something made you come tonight because he wants you. You're sick of your church and trying to find a new one, but God won't let you leave because he's after you. And God says, we're in this together. Well, brother, I don't like that kind of grace because that gives people permission to sin. No, because Jesus looks at her and goes, okay, now that you've been taken care of, go and sin no more. She was revealed then she was healed. I don't know who's in here who's been hidden. Maybe you can't show us your short sleeves because you've got scars on your arms from cutting. Maybe you can't tell us that you cried yourself to sleep last night. Maybe you can't tell me that the whole time I'm sharing my story, my story sounds a whole lot like your story. Maybe you have two parents in the home, but they were never really there for you. Maybe you can't figure out why you're struggling with your weight issue, but truth is you were so beat up at a young age that you you finally got control of something and you can control what you want to eat. Maybe you've been so beat up by the I've been there. I've been talked about, been laughed at. But I'm still here. Because I said, God, help. And I want to tell somebody, where's destiny? That in spite of everything that is hidden in us, that God absolutely knows us. Go ahead and sing that song. You have been Jesus And you will be Jesus You have seen Thank you that you saw me, Lord And you will see Thank you that when I felt ignored, you saw me, Lord Thank you when I felt forgotten, you came and saw about me, Lord. I felt like the woman who was caught in adultery, and you protected me. God, and there's some people here tonight who need to feel your protection. Would you come and show them that you know them now? Just take a moment as Destiny sings this song and just look in your heart for a moment. Is there stuff you've been struggling with for a long time? Maybe it's hidden. Maybe people know about it. Maybe your dad with an alcohol problem. Maybe your mom with an insecurity problem. Would you take a moment and say, God, come and know me right now. Go ahead.
come. And ministers, when you feel released, just go for it. Let's bring some stuff to light tonight. If you've got addiction, if you've got bondage, if you've got secret sin, why don't you take a moment, come out of your seat. Why do I have to come out? Because sometimes you got to take a step and be exposed. <laughs> sometimes you got to admit you don't have it all together. So we'll wait for you. Come on. I know you're in ministry. So was I. But let God deal tonight. Let God deal with you tonight. Come on.